Um, good morning, church. Today's reading comes from Daniel 4, verses 1 to 18. Before we read, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdoms is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. As I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dreams for me, when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field." Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again, everyone. 
It's good to see you all, and a special thank you for the friends who surprised me by coming out, especially to see me. That is really encouraging, and it is much appreciated. Let me pray for us just one more time before we hear God's word preached. Let's pray. God, our King, your kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Your rule lasts forever, from generation to generation. As I preach, as we all listen to your proclaimed word, humble us, because that is good for us. Give us hearts that are humble enough to acknowledge that we are not the king. Give us the healthy fear and wisdom to respect you as the true king of everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the sermon is going to start a little bit differently. It's going to start with this question. Who am I? Who am I? As I look back, I'm someone who has lived a good life. I count myself blessed. I've done my best to pass on those good things to the people under me. Can you think of a time when there was more peace and prosperity than now? My treasury is paid for all of those beautiful buildings. Are the Ishtar gates that will be remembered for hundreds, no, thousands of years to come. But of course, as you know, good things don't just fall into your hands. I had to do my share of hard work and dirty work. I didn't just sit back and hope for the best. I was always there with my army, at the front, taking the lead. Now Egypt didn't win a small fight against us, but I crushed them. I crushed them back at Carchemish and made sure that not a single man made it back to his country. There were those Jews, but they were never really a threat to me. They even tried to ally themselves with Jesus, sorry, they tried to ally themselves with Egypt. We all know how that ended. It's all ended quite well for me. My chief magician was one of those Jews, and he's been very useful. I just have to be careful with his God, though. I've seen how powerful he can be. I'll never forget that terrible dream and that miracle where those three Jews were saved from going into the fiery furnace. So I've made sure that no one says anything against their God now. Who am I? From previous experience or from the Bible reading before, you remember that we're talking about that king with a very difficult name, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. How he defeated Judah and took their best people into exile, like Daniel and his friends. And even though this king was the most powerful man in the world in his time, around 600 BC, three times so far in the book of Daniel, God protected his people from King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of two of those encounters, this very powerful king, remember the most powerful man in the world at the time, he acknowledged that there was a greater power, the God of Daniel and his friends. Today we have the last true story about King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, in the Bible. But still, you might be wondering here this morning, what does a king from thousands of years ago have to do with us today living in the 21st century. It has quite a lot to do with today, actually. Have you ever struggled with pride? Have you ever been called too proud or full of yourself? Have you ever thought to yourself this other question? Why is the world so out of control? This final true story about King Nebuchadnezzar answers those questions and more for us. So let's make a start. For those who find an outline helpful, we're breaking the story down to three parts. We've got the king's proclamation, the king's humiliation, 
and the King's restoration. I'll give you a moment in case you find helpful to write that down. And hopefully it will help you to remember as you go through the week as well. So let's start with that first point, the King's proclamation. Is it's a strange way to start the story, and for a couple of reasons. If you've got a paper Bible, or even a footnote in an electronic one, you'll see at the start of chapter 4 how some translations actually put this at the end of chapter 3 instead. And we don't need to worry too much about that, because chapter numbers were added hundreds of years after the actual text. But the difference is there, because this is a strange way to start the story. In the last two chapters of Daniel, the king prays God, not at the start of the story, but at the end of the true story. And so with this proclamation, we're meant to wonder, what's going on? Maybe we've been given the ending now to make us wonder how we got there. Or more likely, King Nebuchadnezzar still has something to learn. So as I read out verses 1 to 3 again, see if you can count the number of times the king refers to himself. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to, uh, to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I counted three times there. His name, my pleasure, and the wonders God did for me. Now, on the one hand, this is the way that kings wrote back then, and he does refer to God five times in praise. But that for me seems to be important, because from what we know about King Nebuchadnezzar, if you're familiar with Daniel before, he's acknowledged that the Most High God of the Jews is powerful, but he's not what you'd call a humble man. He's not a humble guy. This king liked to be in control. He liked it when God was doing good things for him, when God was on his side. And so we'll see as the true story continues what God is going to do with that. But for now, it's worth pausing and asking ourselves that question about control. Do you like it when you are in control? Soon after I became a Christian, I remember my friend Brian, and a number of you know him as well. He explained it this way to me. It's a bit like driving a car. He said that it's tempting to think that being a Christian is like letting God into our car. We might think that we're hearing God's advice. Slow down, speed up, don't do this, do that. What the Bible is actually talking about is letting God drive our car. We hand him the keys and we agree to be his passenger. We still have important things to do in our life as a passenger, but God is the one in control instead of us. Is this true in your life? Do you tend to treat God as your passenger or as your driver? It's worth briefly saying that this doesn't mean that control or power are bad things. It's not wrong to have power control in your life over other people as well. So if you're a parent, you're a teacher, a manager, a minister, God has put you there. 
There is real dignity and honor that comes with being given this God-given responsibility. The question is, what do you do with that power? Too often we use power without thinking about God. And we tend to bring God down, treating Him as an advisor instead of living like He is the King. And so Daniel's story is saying, watch out. Don't let power lead to pride, because pride leads to a terrible fall. So with that in mind, let's move from the king's proclamation to the king's humiliation. This is our second point, the king's humiliation. As we walk through the story, listen out for the four times when God's going to give a reason. Four times he's going to say why the king was going to be humiliated. Now things start off well for the king. In verse 4, we're told that he was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. But so quickly the peace vanishes. The king receives a dream that makes him afraid, even terrified according to verse 5. So the king tells his wise men what his dream is so that they can interpret it. But they couldn't interpret it. And so Daniel, the chief magician, is called in. What was the dream about? From that Bible reading before that Alice read out for us. We heard that it's about this enormous tree in the middle of the land. And it kept growing and growing until it could be seen from the ends of the earth. And this tree was not only big, but it was beautiful, giving lots of fruit and shelter to all the creatures. But an angel comes down from heaven proclaiming, the tree will be cut down. The branches, the leaves and the fruit are going to be taken away. The animals and birds are going to flee but there will be a stump left in the ground, bound with iron and bronze. The verdict is that someone is going to become very wet with the dew of heaven. He will live with the animals and lose his mind, becoming like an animal for seven years. And then, for the first time, we hear the reason, as verse 17 says, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. Now this is what we got up to in the Bible reading. And we're going to continue through the rest of the chapter. But at this point, if you were the king, what would you say to Daniel? What would you do? For King Nebuchadnezzar, he says that his wise men can't interpret this dream. But Daniel can interpret this dream. For Daniel, he's puzzled and he's terrified. So the king tells him to not be alarmed, while Daniel wishes that this message was for the king's enemies. But from verse 20, Daniel starts to interpret the dream for the king. And the point of the interpretation is in verse 22. Your majesty, you are that tree. And the rest of the interpretation confirms that each detail is about King Nebuchadnezzar. And twice more, we're told the reason. Why are these things going to happen to the king? As verse 25 says, Until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Again, verse 26 tells us, Your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Do you see the point? 
Do you see now the danger of forgetting that God is the one who is in control? Watch out. Don't let pride, don't, don't let power lead to pride because pride leads to a terrible fall. And so Daniel advises the king. He advises the king in verse 27. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then your prosperity will continue. And so the king has a choice, doesn't he? The dream sounded like it was certain to happen, but Daniel doesn't tell the king to just sit back and wait for judgment to come. So often in the Bible, when there is judgment coming, we have a choice for now. Will the king turn away from his sins? If he does, perhaps his prosperity will continue. But if he continues to be wicked instead, only one thing can happen eventually. And so, when we see what King Nebuchadnezzar does 12 months later, he sins. Probably many in that year, but even one sin is a very serious thing to God. And how does he sin? Listen closely to verses 29 and 30. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal, Pabla, the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is, the, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And we need to bear in mind that what he said about Babylon being great was true. Sometimes we'd probably come across people that are a bit full of themselves and are talking bigger than what they've actually done. But King Nebuchadnezzar built not just one palace, but three palaces. And then the massive Ishtar Gate, which has this inscription. Now, I don't know how tall you are, but this is 15 meters tall, 10 meters wide. And if this wasn't enough as part of his building projects, he added to that one of the seven wonders of the ancient world by making the hanging gardens for his wife. And so King Nebuchadnezzar has done great things. But did you notice? Just wait for our technology. Here we go. But did you notice that little word, my, that reveals his pride? My mighty power and the glory of my majesty. Nebuchadnezzar was proud of himself, wasn't he? And pride is selfish. It offends the real king. As we remind for the fourth and final time, why God is going to turn him into a beast until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And what God said would happen is exactly what does happen in verse 23. And just imagine for a moment how humiliating it would be for a king, a prime minister, a president, a powerful person, to be seen eating grass like an ox. Or if your workplace is any like workplaces I've been part of, just imagine the gossip about him being covered with dew every day as he has no home, about his hair, his fingernails, his toenails growing ridiculously long because he's lost his mind. That's the true story of the king's humiliation. And on the one hand, this is actually meant to make us laugh. Even a few people at Guildford Anglican noted how in the other bits of Daniel, just 
how Nebuchadnezzar is not a very logical guy. And even one, one member had said, he's such a fruitcake. And this was even before he became a beast. But on the other hand, we're meant to stop and think. Am I like that too? Because the funny thing is, whenever you start laughing at someone in the Bible, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar, whether it's Jonah, or whether it's Peter, this strange thing happens where you're meant to reflect on yourself and think, am I doing the same things or doing something like that person as well? And so when we did this at Guildford in Bible study or when I was preparing the sermon, it was good for me to reflect on past times about when I'd had to repent of pride. And I'm thankful for people at church here who have called me out on my pride before. But how about for you? Are you a proud person? Is there pride that you need to repent of? That's what God is asking us today. And sometimes it's better to ask a friend than yourself. They can be a bit more honest about ourselves than we are. But always, always ask God, is He knows us best. Still, another question that's worth us asking is that one from the start of today. Who am I? Because our answer might just reveal a wrong kind of pride in our identity. Maybe it's in our work. Maybe we say, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a student, or I was before I retired. We can take pride in our work. Maybe it's our culture. I'm Aussie, I'm Asian, even people who aren't actually Asian but pretend to be like myself. But anyway, I'm British or another culture. Maybe it's our family, our achievements, our stuff. The list of things that people can be proud of is endless, isn't it? But from what we've learned in Daniel, what should we take pride in? Who should we take pride in? Surely it's not anything to do with ourselves, but everything to do with God. We trust first and foremost in the Most High who rules over every kingdom. Because God humbled us, to admit that we rule under God, not over Him or equal to Him, much like animals live under humans. Our pets live under us. So we live under the Most High God. And if this is true in the Old Testament, it's even more true in the New Testament. And it makes this message more amazing and more humbling because we boast in our Father in Heaven who rules over everything on earth. We rejoice that we are Christians, not because we were smart enough to make that decision, not because we were born into the right family, but because of God. After all, people staying in humiliation isn't what God wants most. It's not the ideal ending, even though some people, even many people, stay there forever, choosing to be away from God and not learning the lesson from humility because there is a limit to God's patience. But God rejoices when we are actually humbled by our humiliation, because that leads to restoration. Which brings us back to Nebuchadnezzar and to our third point, the king's restoration. As we come to verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar gets his sanity back. When does that happen? When he raises his eyes toward heaven. When he spoke in his pride, did you notice how he was probably looking down because he was on his royal palace, looking at all the things he had made and probably the people who were there as well. 
But now he looks up humbly towards God. Now this man, the one who had been the most powerful man on earth, admits that it's God's rule, not his and his legacy that lasts forever. No one can compare to God. No one can hold God back. And so, in verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar's power is restored and increased. And it's worth saying that one of the reasons why it's easy to laugh at Nebuchadnezzar now is we don't feel his power. We're very far removed from him so many years later. But maybe you have friends who've lived in countries like China or Iran, and there you know what it's like to live under someone with real power where every day you're aware of being ruled over by higher power. But Nebuchadnezzar has changed. Unlike so many powerful rulers today, he becomes finally a humble man. And so Nebuchadnezzar refers to himself many times again, but now always to praise God. And so in verse 37, he praises, exalts, and glorifies the King of heaven. Because everything that God does is right and just. And that's the end of this chapter of Daniel. That's the end of our true story. But, again, what does it mean for us today? Why does this matter in the 21st century? What does it mean for our church? What does that mean for our world? When you think about it, Nebuchadnezzar's story is actually quite similar to our own story Think about it, as Christians today, the the king's restoration gives us hope of restoration. Because when you think about the audience of, or the people in Daniel's time, why were God's people in Babylon then? They were exiled to Babylon out of Jerusalem because they were proud, because they refused to stop sinning, even though God sent them prophet after prophet. So the Lord humiliated them. He humbled them, or his hope was that they would be humbled so they could be restored by the exile. And if you keep reading through Daniel's book, there's more of that promise for God to restore them. But for now, in this part of Daniel, we can see how God humbled the most powerful man on earth, the man who ruled over all of the Jews. And if the Babylonian king could be restored and honored again, then for God's people in exile, they could be restored and honored again, couldn't they? Which helps us today. Maybe you've been feeling the humiliating consequences of your sins. Or maybe you've not done anything wrong, but you're in humiliating times, like losing your job, being treated unfairly, or even just going through difficulties with mental health, or your body wearing out with sickness and age. All of these things can be humiliating. But if you're one of God's people, and if you're humble, we have hope. This true story reminds us that in God, in impossible situations even, there is hope in God. Even the most humbling times, God gives us hope. So that's for the church. How about for our world? What's the message for today? Well, there, there's also hope for restoration if we admit that God is king. Because so many things have been out of control for such a long time. All the way back when humanity first rebelled against God, we've known humiliation. 
Since we decide to live without God's rule, to push God out of our lives, life has been hard, hasn't it? It's a dog-eat-dog world where people often treat each other more like beasts than fellow people. And so it's no accident that the governments who have killed so many of their own people were atheist governments. Pol Pot in Cambodia, Mao Zedong in China, and Joseph Stalin for the Soviet Union. And yet, despite all the bloodshed, God is still the one in control of the world. Humanity is still going. And more importantly, God has been restoring people so they might no longer be beasts, but become truly human. How? Through God sending His Son, Christ Jesus, or Jesus the King. That's what it means. Jesus who is not only human, but also God. Jesus who humbled Himself, even to the point of the most humiliating kind of death, death on a cross, to save us from God's just judgment. Jesus has now been exalted to the highest place. Jesus, whose restoration involves every person who ever lived, bowing their knees and using their tongue to admit that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we're left with the choice. Will we joyfully submit to Jesus and enjoy heaven with Him forever and ever? Or we choose to grudgingly admit that Jesus is King and hate Him and hate hell into eternity. Why wouldn't we choose the first option? Why wouldn't we joyfully submit to Jesus as King so that we might know the joy of being restored? So brothers and sisters, as God's people, let's learn from this King's example. In the King's proclamation, humiliation and restoration, there's a message for us today. We've been warned to watch out against pride. We've been humbled to find pride in God instead of ourselves. And we've been comforted with hope. The hope that Jesus will restore everything and that everyone who believes in Him as the King of everything. As we go out into this week, let's pray to that King. Let's pray. King of heaven, Keep your servants from pride and every other sin. Let our pride, let our hope, and let our words keep on coming back to the King, the King who loves us with an everlasting love. We pray these things in the name of our King, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.